Hi, my name is Wayne Stender, and I'm the Director of Admissions at Hillcrest Academy. We've created this show for you to help you understand some of the things that are going on at Hillcrest. There will be interviews with Principal Isaac and President Hoganson, a number of different teachers and staff members, as well as some updates from students. You'll get a chance to hear some testimonies and in-classroom discussions that are going on at Hillcrest. This is done to help you, as a supporter of our school, really understand what's going on in your school. So we thank you for taking some time, following up with Hillcrest, and we hope that you're encouraged by this show. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus a little bit on some of the spiritual development things that we've been doing at Hillcrest. This week, we had our prayer days, and in those settings, the students get a chance to study and understand what prayer is, and then also to practice it. And so we spend time in small groups, spending time praying and listening to different people give us teachings on prayer. So this week, you'll hear a message from Susie Townsend and Dave Foss. You'll also hear a special teaching that Mr. Peterson gave to the prayer day participants. I trust that this podcast will give you a good overview of what's going on at Hillcrest and how we're building faith for the students. It's part of our three main core values that we really focus on here, that we want to build faith in the students, that we want to develop their intellect, and we want to form their character. Today's show really focuses on the building faith aspect. On Monday, Susie Townsend visited our chapel service. Susie's a mover and shaker in our community in terms of women's ministry. She has a great outreach and puts on a number of events over at the First Church of the Nazarene here in Fergus Falls. Susie's message today was in preparation for prayer day, and Mr. Garvin asked her to give a good overview of what it means to be in communion with God as we advance in our movement of the theme from creation to fall to redemption and now moving towards restoration. I trust that you'll find Susie's message uplifting and encouraging, as well as well thought out and well delivered for our students. I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. I just, I love what God is doing in your generation. I'm excited for you guys. Um, I'm excited for us and what he has for us today. This is actually my first ever Hillcrest Chapel experience. Kind of excited about it. Um, And I love your theme, Back to the Basics, except... um, my brain, when preparing for this, I could not stop thinking about basic in this like white girl drinking a latte sense. But the basics of Christianity, they're so massive. They're phenomenal. They're essential. And today we're focusing on the topic of prayer. It doesn't get more basic than that, right? So I just want to start by asking you, how is your prayer life? Like, what does it look like? Another way of asking that is, how are you in Jesus? You guys are focusing on redemption right now in chapel, right? So you've been talking a lot about the cross, I assume, like what Jesus did on the cross. You know Jesus died, rose again, and so now that you can have relationship with God just by believing in and receiving him. Redemption is for the sake of relationship, and relationship is cultivated in prayer, right? Redemption is for relationship, relationship is cultivated in prayer. Actually, I have a follow-up question to how's your prayer life. Would you want to go to heaven if you found out that God wasn't there? Would you want to go to heaven if you found out that God wasn't there? Don't think about it too hard because it's a hypothetical question and it breaks down kind of fast, but you get the point, right? Are you in this thing for him or for the ticket to heaven at the end of your life? Is Jesus your heaven, your treasure? Your prayer life answers that question for you. 
doesn't matter if you go to church um, or a Christian school or who your family is, if you go to youth group, if you're not spending time with God, can you really say that you love him? Sure, we love this redemption thing that he's done for us, but what about him? Do you love him for his sake? Or is he just a means to an end? I have a little exercise to help us process this, okay? I want you to take whatever your prayer life is right now, how it looks, like what your motivations are in it, um, how much you talk, how much you listen, everything. And I want you to apply that to a human relationship. Let's say to a boyfriend or girlfriend, okay? Going only off of your prayer life, would that person know that you like them? Would you know anything about them? Or are your interactions all about you? Would, you, would they feel like a priority in your life? Or do they get whatever's left at the end of the day, if it's convenient for you? How is your prayer life? How are you in Jesus, really? John 17, three says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, like the end goal, the end all, is just knowing him. Relationship with God. We've been redeemed for this. In a moment, we're going to get really practical about prayer and what cultivating an intimate relationship with God can look like. But first, I just wanna speak really quickly to those in the room that haven't bought into this Christianity thing yet. I just wanna acknowledge that like the version of Christianity where Jesus is just a means to an end, where we still get to play God, the Christianity where there's no real life change, that should be rejected. I say good for you for not getting swept up in what is so cultural and oh so comfortable. But please, please do not mistake that for him. I fully believe that if you were to actually get to know Jesus, like life with him, everything would change for you, like everything. So how do we get to know him? Like what does relationship with the God of the universe look like? I'm guessing most of you are familiar with and probably practice petition prayer, like asking God for things. Petition prayer is great. Like crazily, God moves in response to our prayers. And he's a good and generous father, so he wants us to ask. But that's just one way to pray. Today we're focusing on relational prayer, where cultivating intimacy with God is the aim. It's from intimacy with God that fruitfulness flows. It's in the quiet place with him where heart transformation takes place. It's in, it's in his presence only where true satisfaction is found. God has so much for you if you'll pursue him in prayer. So, ending really practically, I'm just gonna share some of what I've learned from this kind of prayer. And when I first began practicing it, I would set my phone for just five minutes because that's all I could handle without getting really distracted. And I would just say, as I began, God, I yield to you. Come, Holy Spirit, and do in this time whatever you want. I just want to be with you. And I still say something along these lines whenever I begin this kind of prayer. But as I'm saying it, I'm actually posturing my heart, my mind, my spirit to yield. I'm meaning what I'm saying. I'm expecting him. I'm listening if he wants to speak. This is basically just living out Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. And I have to say that when I first started practicing praying this way, I felt nothing, I heard nothing, and it was hard to keep my mind from wandering. I had to keep bringing it back, bringing it back to focus and to rest on him. 
I did notice, however, that when I took time for this kind of prayer, this kind of intimate prayer, even if it was just five, maybe 10 minutes, I became a different person. I'd live that day with a satisfied soul. I even ate differently on those days. I didn't realize it before, but I had been taking a very real spiritual hunger to physical food and other things. If you're not experiencing a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, I know that your soul is hungry for him. What are you doing with that hunger, that thirst? What or whom are you taking it to? In the same way that physical hunger and thirst is meant to drive us to seek out food and drink, spiritual hunger is meant to drive us to God in prayer. In John 6, 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Even though at the start of practicing this kind of prayer, I felt nothing, I heard nothing, I realized that when I took time just to be with Jesus, I got filled with the bread of life. Not only does that mean satisfaction to your core, but all of a sudden I had something to give to others. I wasn't in an empty taking mode anymore. Now, if you're going to attempt this kind of prayer, two things are going to be really crucial for you. First of all, prayer that isn't about you or that doesn't immediately gratify you will require faith. For one thing, it's going to take faith just to bring your soul thirst to God for satisfaction instead of whatever else you've been bringing it to. It takes faith to believe that in him you will be truly satisfied, and not only that, but now streams of living water are going to start flowing out of you. Second, you won't have the motivation to persevere in seeking after him if you don't actually believe that you're going to find him. That's where faith comes in and believes James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. I do want to communicate that it's okay if you don't always hear or sense something from God while you're praying. In a culture of instant gratification, that could be a real hurdle. If this becomes a problem, I just encourage you to remember this kind of prayer is not about you. You're just humbly surrendering yourself and that time with him, whatever it looks like. My best advice is to actually get rid of any expectations you have about how God reveals himself and when. I know the God that you're going to meet, and he's not a program. In Proverbs 8:17, he says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me, find me. Notice the word diligently there. This is not an immediate gratification situation. Which brings me to the next thing that you'll need, discipline. Discipline. Cultivating an intimate relationship with anybody takes effort, intentionality, tons of personal investment, surrendering, dying to yourself. Faith actually fuels discipline and you're going to need it because this does not come naturally to us. Especially at the start, your flesh is going to resist this kind of prayer. You'll have to protect your time with God. Give up other things so you can have quality time with him. Making this happen daily is really hard. I know in my life, it's the first thing to go when things start to get crazy. The need for discipline is real. Think of the athlete and the soldier analogies in the Bible. Real deal Christianity requires real discipline. Matthew eleven twelve says, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Have you thought about this verse before? Like real discipline, zeal, spiritual grit is needed to advance into new territory spiritually. The kingdom of God is not for half-hearted, self-focused comfort lovers. 
I remember being around your age, kneeling next to my bed, just being consumed by a desire for more of God. I knew there was more to Christianity than what I was experiencing, but I just didn't know how to access it. I waited there next to my bed for God for five minutes, maybe ten, um, and I just gave up. I couldn't handle it. I went and I numbed that hunger for God on otherworldly things. I didn't have the faith or the discipline to persevere and fight to take hold of the kingdom of God, the more than this that God was calling me to. The point is, it's totally up to you how much God you have. It's up to you how much God you have. And as you practice this kind of prayer, you may not recognize him right away, but you will in time. Your awareness of God's presence will grow, and with it, your desire for more of him. This is basic Christianity. This is the goal of redemption, relationship with God, and it happens in prayer. I want to close by praying for you guys, okay? Will you bow with me? Oh God, thank you so much for redeeming us, for what you did on that cross, Lord, you were so good. Lord, I want to pray for my friends here who may be doing the cultural Christian thing, but somehow they've missed you. Their hearts hold no real affection for you. Lord, you draw near to them today and give them the grace that they need to find you. Lord, for those here that know you, that love you, that are pressing in for more, Lord, would you just increase the revelation that you have of yourself, increase love in their hearts to drive them into your kingdom. Lord, for those here um, that just aren't buying this, God, would you give them such a hunger for you that nothing else will satisfy, that will overcome any sin, any obstacle, till they find you. Lord, in this school, I just want to release a greater anointing of faith, greater anointing of discipline. Lord, would you make this school a house of prayer for your name's sake. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Prayer Day is a hundred-year-old tradition at Hillcrest. It's something that we've done almost since the founding of the school. It started by a group of young men that met in a room to pray for a friend of theirs, and in the middle of their prayers, in the nighttime, with the lights dimly lit, the four men felt intense conviction for their own sin, and they started to pray for forgiveness and confess their sin in this small room at Hillcrest Academy. What the Lord did through that movement of those four men was he started a revival on the campus of Hillcrest to the point of where teachers and faculty and staff actually had to cancel classes because the teachers themselves were so moved by the spirit of the Lord that was working at Hillcrest. It initiated a tradition at Hillcrest that we take time during our school year and focus on prayer. With the changing culture at Hillcrest, we've really started to spend more time developing the understanding of what prayer is and helping students understand the biblical foundation for the practice of prayer as a spiritual discipline in the life of the believer. To start off our prayer day, we had Dave Foss speak to the student body on what it means to really develop in communion with God. And Dave brought in a really interesting concept as he did this, talking about music and what is the song of our life right now. I think that you'll be encouraged as you hear Dave give a delivery of what it means to really rest in the Lord and, and to find your confidence and your strength only in the name of Jesus. I pray that as you listen to this, that you would also be challenged to the question, what is the rhythm, the song of our life that we're living out and we're singing on a daily basis? All right, as you're wrapping up that, uh, as you finish praying, uh, the next couple questions, we're going to put a few minutes on the clock. 
Um, what's the first song you ever remember learning? And second question, if your life had a soundtrack, what song would we hear it playing? It's a little icebreaker for you. So as we prepare for Pastor Foss, talk about those two questions in your group now. All right, will you give it up for Pastor Dave Foss? Dave Foss, everybody. Uh, there is a section for notes in your, in your booklet, so feel free to be taking notes and prepare uh, to t discuss what Pastor Foss, has, Foss uh, gave to us today. So, Pastor Foss. Cool. Thank you. Hey, you guys. Hola. Como están? Good. Hi, everybody. If we haven't met, then um, I'm uh, Pastor Dave Foss from over here, your neighbor across the way. Um, some of you, maybe we haven't had a chance to meet, so nice to meet you, even from this distance uh, this morning or afternoon by now. Uh, so I'm kind of curious. Uh, the, I gave these two questions about uh, for you guys to discuss just before I came up. The, uh, the question of if there was a, sound a song that would be the soundtrack for your life, what would that be? I, I hope you had a chance to discuss that. I'm kind of curious about the first one, and I wonder if you could give me some feedback. Uh, the first question, or one of them was, um, like, what's one of the earliest songs that you remember learning as a kid? Um, could I, like, could I take a chance on a few of them and throw out one? And you just kind of raise your hand if you're like, yeah, that has to be one of the earliest ones. Um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Did that come up in your group? Did that come up? Okay, a few of you. Uh, Mary had a little lamb. That's, no, like nobody. Okay, wheels on the bus go round and round. Come on. I got a video of me and Olivia in a class at the YMCA in a pool. She's a, an infant and we're... It's me and all the moms holding the children, and we're going around singing wheels on the bus, go around and around. What are some songs that you, how about Jesus Loves Me, This I Know? Did that come up in your group along the way? Yeah, okay. So I'm thinking maybe, and if that's one of the songs that you learned early on, then you're a church kid, and that's a good thing. That means uh, it's a privilege to be brought up in the church where parents bring you to hear about Christ. Um, that's got to be one of the earliest songs that I can remember learning too. Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. It's a great song. So I found on YouTube a video of this two-year-old singing it. It was so cute. So I want you to see it. So have a look. Jesus Loves Me. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how old I was when I first uh, learned the song, Jesus Loves Me, but that's adorable. I, and here's the question I want us to consider today. And I, not do you still find yourself singing that sometimes, but, and don't answer me, but just think, do you still sing that? Like, do you still know that? Is that song in you? If I poked you, does that song at some point come out? How deep do we got to go before that comes out of you? Here's what I want to do. 
I want to start by just asking you to be silent for a few minutes. Not a few minutes. It just, it'll seem like forever. But I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to do something that seems really kind of out there, maybe. But I want you to listen to the song that's playing in your soul. I believe that in your heart and in your soul, there's music. So what I want you to do is just take a minute to be quiet. Close your eyes. Don't look at anybody. Could you just do that? It's like super silent. This is not the who can be quietest, the longest game. This is just quiet for a minute. I want to invite you to listen to the song that's playing in your soul. You can look up now. Um, I hope that that's just maybe the start of something that you can do ongoingly. I hope that as a result of today, you will begin to listen to the lyrics of the song that's in your heart. Because here's what I believe. There's a song in your heart. And I believe actually there's more than just one. And which song you listen to matters because it's the song and the lyrics that cause you to move and cause you to dance. Your movement and your actions and your life is being influenced by the background song of your life. There's a song in your soul. And here's my conviction today, that God has made us with a song, and he's put a song in our hearts. He's put a song that's deep in our soul. It's the song to which he wants us to move. It's the song to which he wants us to dance, to know his freedom, to know his fullness, to know his joy. The song has lyrics that go like this. God made me. God loves me. He is very pleased with me. Would you say those lyrics with me? Repeat after me. God made me. God loves me. He is very pleased with me. Say it again like you mean it. God made me. God loves me. He is very pleased with me. That's the song that God put in your heart and your soul, but here's my conviction today. I don't think that's the song you heard. I don't think that's the song that most days of the week we actually hear in our soul. I think the music's been swapped out. I think there's been a change in the music that we are listening to different, a different tune that's making us dance and different lyrics that are filling our minds. I wanna talk about that today because I think somewhere along the line, somebody changed the music. God put in our hearts the message, God made me, God loves me, he is very pleased with me. But somewhere along the line, we began to believe the message is this. God made me, He's watching me, and I need to do better, and I need to try harder. I, I think it's not the song of the redeemed that's playing in our heart. I think it's a song of shame and of guilt that plays in our life. I want to talk about that today. I want you to think about what is the background music in your life and in your soul. There, it's there for every one of us. Um, everywhere you go today, it seems like there's background music. Like when you walk into... Uh, was there going on in here today when students were coming in? It might have been something, a, a music playing when you walked in. Often in, in our church, when you come in, there's music playing that's providing atmosphere and setting. Did you know that when you walk into a store, 
when you walk into a restaurant, listen for it. There's music that's playing. And actually, really smart people have investigated what it is that shapes and influences our buying habits, our spending habits, and even what we choose to eat and are influencing our behavior. And the thing about background music is you don't listen to it. It just influences you while you ignore it. It influences you while you ignore it. It's like background music. Like, I'm not listening to it. Exactly. Of course, you're not meant to listen to it. Every once in a while, you, something will catch your attention. But for the most part, you don't listen to it. It just has a shaping influence on you. The question is, what song is shaping your life? Like, what is the soundtrack of your life? What is the background music in your soul? What are the lyrics of that song? God's lyrics for you are, God made me. God loves me. He is very pleased with me. But somebody changed the tune. And now what we hear more often than not is God made me and he's watching me and I need to do better and I need to try harder. It's shame and it's guilt that operates in our hearts. What, what Ryan asked me to come and talk about today is the fact that Jesus Christ has come to bear our shame and our guilt, or bear our, our shame and our sin in our lives. This is why Jesus came. Here's why Jesus came, to sing the song into your soul that your soul learned at the very beginning that you have forgotten. So when I ask you the question, do you still sing Jesus Loves Me? He's like, do you even remember how to sing that? Like, do you even know that song anymore? Like, does that, is that in you? Does it come out? Does it make you move? Does it make you dance? Does it give you the fullness of God and the joy to live in life in him? Or is the other tune what you're listening to? It's like a radio frequency. It's like it's dialed into that frequency. Change the station. This is what's happened in humanity. We kind of know how this happened. Adam and Eve, right? Go back to the very beginning. If you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know that they were made and God put a song in their hearts. The song that they were singing was God made me, God loves me, he is well pleased, he's very pleased with me. This is what they sang, this is what they knew. Can you imagine a world like that? Where these two people are just living life, just like this is awesome. Loving God, loving fellowship with him, and everything's great, no sin, no shame. But then somebody came in and changed the music. We know the story, the tempter came, right? He came to tempt Adam and Eve and he was basically telling them, that's not really true, God must be holding out on you. God must be holding out on you. The things that he's withholding from you are things you really need and you really want. Man, don't listen to him. Don't dance with him, dance with me. Dance with me. And then he sang his tune and we've been humming it ever, ever since. What song is playing in your heart? What is the song deep in your soul? It says in Genesis three, this is what happened verse six through seven. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, I want you to listen to what happened next. Then the eyes of both of them were opened like the spiritual, soulish eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What an incredibly fascinating thing. Like all of a sudden, like they were, 
They were in the garden completely naked. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They didn't know about shame. Everything was fine. They didn't have to, put, they didn't have to cover up. It's like not just their body, but their soul. They could just be who they are. Wouldn't that be great? No covering on your soul, just who you are with people and people loved you and lived in community with you. Like I know some of you, you came to a place like Hillcrest, you're like, I want that. Maybe where you came from, you didn't have that. You had to pretend to be somebody different. You live with a sense of shame and covering up and here they are just like, here's me. And physically they're naked, but soulishly in their spirit, in their heart, they're just naked. They're open with God and with one another. Sin comes in and what, what happens immediately? Shame comes, sin comes. And what do they feel the need to do? Cover up. The reality is you and I live in that same, we're just downstream from the same river. We're just downstream a long way, long time but in the same river. And the solution for them is the same solution for us, covering. You need to be covered. Your shame and your sin needs a covering. And you have two choices, the same ones they had. A covering that you provide for yourself or a covering that God provides for you, right? And so the covering they provided for themselves was what? What did they use to cover themselves in the text that I read? What did they sew together? Fig leaves, weird, right? Like, okay. Who came up with that idea? I don't know. If we sew these things together, that might work. They sew fig leaves together to cover themselves and their nakedness because they're, now their eyes are open to see their physical and soulish nakedness and they cover themselves. So that's then. What do we do now? I don't know, how, I don't know what you do, but I think for most of us on some of the covering we provide for ourselves is try harder, do better. Uh, just, just some sort of provision, like we need to be covered. And so we're gonna cover our sin by moving towards isolation from others. We're gonna cover our sin by not letting others in too close. We're, gonna, we're not gonna tell the truth. We're gonna live in deceit and lies and we're gonna do better and try harder. This is what, we need a covering, guys. Like you need a covering. You're naked, spiritually, soulishly, you are naked. You need covering and you feel your shame. And it's either you gonna provide something for yourself or God's gonna provide something for you. This is why Jesus came. The, the provision for our, the covering that we need is what Jesus came to bring us. What's so interesting to me is Jesus came to bear your sin and to bear your shame at the cross. We've been singing about it in the songs we sang earlier. Like he came to do that for you. Here's what's so fascinating to me. I don't, actually, uh, Pastor Rich was telling me the other day, he's like, I was talking to my son, I won't tell you which one, but when he was like, he was like, all of a sudden we, we were talking about Jesus dying on the cross, like young, you know, elementary age, and he's like, uh, all of a sudden realized, and we were talking about Jesus dying on the cross, and he's like, and he was naked, and they were like, you know, they were like, they never thought about that. Like, on the cross, Jesus was naked. It's so fascinating to me. Here, Jesus is bearing our shame, just as Adam and Eve were exposed soulishly and physically for who they were. Jesus physically, representing that physically, was naked on the cross, laid bare. And his shame and embarrassment and the ridicule that he faced and the, and the cruelty that he endured was for you and for your shame. The, 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 the heaping of insults and hatred and the spit and the venom in their words was coming against Jesus who was bearing your shame and your embarrassment. And he was bearing in his body your sin 
That is so amazing to me. It says in scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Jesus be- became, not like he just he had or carried or bore, but like he became, Jesus became the very thing that God hates. You ever hear like when we talk in communion, we talk about, we read about what happened at the cross and what happened when Jesus was at the cross, where was God looking? Was, he, was God the Father looking down on Jesus and smiling and pleased with him? Is that what he was doing? Go like this. No. It, the Bible says that he turned his face from him and Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was bearing the shame, the shame that God couldn't even look at. Jesus became that which God hates. He bore your sin and your shame. This is why it's amazing to me. This is why I love at the closing of church at Bethel, just just about every Sunday, almost every Sunday, the benediction is the same where I raise my hands and I say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. How in the world could God turning his face toward you give you peace? Like how in the world could it be possible that God seeing you for who you really are could bring peace to you? Like how is, how is it even possible for us to feel good about God seeing us? Only if he doesn't see our shame and our guilt. Only if he sees us as shameless and sinless, and the only way he can see you as shameless and sinless is because he saw Jesus as shameful and sinful. That makes sense? And so God came, Jesus came to sing the song back to us that we had forgotten, to tell us again the message of the song that we get to sing, God made you, God loves you, He is very pleased with you. My hope today is that in some way, shape, or form that you will learn again that song that he came to sing for you, to remind you of what's true. Because all your life, there's a background song playing, and this this song is replaced. It's like, go back, remind you again of the song that, that God put in your soul for you to sing, the song of the redeemed. Would you say it with me? Repeat after me. God made me. God loves me. He is very pleased with me. Let me close with this. I asked you some of the songs that you learned early on in your life, and one of them probably for a lot of you is Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. You know what's so interesting to me? Those of you who have worked with, uh, with seniors in the past, I don't mean high school seniors, I mean those who've worked like maybe in nursing homes, I know some of you have, and you've worked around old people, and sometimes at the end of life, um, we lose our ability to understand. You know, the, the longer we live, uh, a lot of times what happens with seniors is they, they, they forget. And they forget a lot of things. They forget experiences in their life. Sometimes they forget the names of friends. When it gets really bad, they forget the names of their own family members. In fact, it's not uncommon once in a while to see somebody who doesn't remember their own name. It's part of my role um, 
among others in the church, volunteers and staff, I get to visit people like that. And here's what's so fascinating to me. I've had the chance to visit with a, with a woman and ask her, tell me, tell me your name. I hadn't met her before. This is in a nursing home here in town. And she couldn't answer me. She had forgotten her own name. Can you imagine? So you know what I did? As I talked to her, I told her that God loves her very much and God knows your name and he loves you and you may forget, but he hasn't forgotten you. And then I started to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. And she joined in. For the Bible tells me so. Would you join me? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So, Lord, our prayer is today, as very forgetful people, that you would sing into our soul the song you once taught us, that we have forgotten the words to, that we have ceased dancing to. Would you teach us again the song of the redeemed? Would you teach us about who we are, how much you love us, and what you have done by going to the cross to bear our shame in our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask your blessing on these uh, students and teachers and volunteers that are here today as they join together in prayer and seek to know the message of your great love for them. Would you impress it upon their hearts? Would it cause in them their hearts to be full and to overflow in prayers of thanksgiving to God for his goodness and his grace? Bless these students, this school. May it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Prayer Day is a two-day event at Hillcrest. This year, from about 11 o'clock until 3 o'clock, we took the time that would normally be spent in classes and we spent it as a group of students and faculty in the gym, sitting in circles of six to 10 people, going through a Bible study, listening to speakers and practicing prayer. And in the first semester, there was a painting that was done during the worship times and a number of the teaching times by Sylvia Venberg. It was a painting of creation. And in the creation scene, there was a silhouette of Adam and Eve on a mountainside, looking out over the expanse of this beautiful creation with trees and a lake, mountains in the background, and the sun was setting in the painting. On the second day of our fall prayer day, a student arose and went to the painting and painted black over it to mark the movement from creation to the fall. And from that time till December, the painting sat with black paint over this beautiful painting that Sylvia had painted underneath of the creation scene. When we made the move in the theme, from the fall to the redemption, President Hoganson asked Sam Erke to come up to the stage and Sam started washing off the black paint. As he washed off the black paint, the original creation scene that Sylvia had painted was started to be revealed underneath. We've spent time periodically washing a little bit more of the black paint off as we're making this movement through the redemption. 
pretty mark the transition from redemption to restoration. And Sylvia Venberg came up during the prayer day to wash off the rest of the black paint and to reveal her original painting underneath. As we make the move from redemption to restoration now, Sylvia will again start repainting the painting that she had created originally. She will touch up the colors on the trees and make the sky come to life again because it was dulled by the black paint and the work of scrubbing the canvas to get the black paint off. Mr. Peterson arose the second day of prayer day to give a devotional on the painting. I hope you're encouraged as you hear some of the special teaching and some of the creative ways that, that we're unpacking the theme of square one and taking the students back to discovering or for some rediscovering the foundational elements of God's beautiful love story that he's painted for us. So this is a, it's been a fun thing to watch. It's been a fun thing to be a part of uh, as the art teacher. You know, I've I got an unusual perspective on this whole thing um, from the very beginnings. And those of you who know me, you know how much I love analogies and being able to build on ideas and see how things weave together and and so I don't know it's too hard to imagine the energy that Sylvia would have put into planning this painting figuring out how she's going to go about this and then investing herself in this creative work knowing that it was going to be destroyed some people ask that question, well, how could God create a world that he knew would fall? We wrestle with that. That's a very real thing. I also know that the, those of you who know me, you know I play for keeps. I, I don't, I hate pastel drawings because they don't, they don't survive anything. I can't even take them home and they're smudged so to play for keeps it it, it was killing me to know that that this was going to get painted over and destroyed so we got to talk about how can this be redeemed and there's just a lot of fun thoughts in that god knew before the fall he knew he had had a plan for redeeming it bringing it back making all things new. And um, you know, as Sylvia was up there painting, I, I, I'd just love to get inside of everybody's head. I'd love to get inside of Leonora's head a little bit about what it was like when she was painting over this. You know, I know some of you talked about just being angry when you looked up, right? And hurt and was, wait a minute, did somebody get a picture? Is that gonna somehow be brought back? I think those are some really base appetites in all of us. And so uh, I think there's something too. I'd, I'd like to get in Sylvia's head if she was able to put more energy into this knowing that there was a plan for reconciliation. And as we're looking at this, I, I just couldn't help but think about one of the themes in understanding the times as we talk about often we, we hear that Jesus re restores, he redeems a person, but Christ also works through the church. He works through believers, a people of faith, to reconcile his creation. And so I've really enjoyed, as we've seen this up in the corner of the chapel, that, that Adam and Eve, representing all of humanity, that, that was cleaned off first 
right? Sam up in front of chapel cleaning that off and beginning that restoration process and, and it's spreading across the canvas a little bit more and, and then to see Sylvia come up, the artist, the creator, complete that reconciliation. It's, it's just really, it's a powerful image that I, it doesn't escape me. I don't, I don't think it escapes you either. I want you to just think about that a little bit. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 19. These are going to be familiar. Sorry, 17, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. To us. It's not just the pastors, it's not just the speakers. It's a people of faith. Christ has reconciled you, and through you, others will be reconciled. You may have opportunity to be the friend that just listens and then brings, opens God's word. Being that minister of reconciliation is a powerful thing. Can we just pray with this painting in mind and then we'll transition to worship. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for just the image of a creator putting heart and soul into something that's going to stand before everyone to be perceived and to be judged whether it's good or, or not, complete or not. And as we look at, at the world that we live in, the questions that come, is this, is this the good that was intended? Or is there something better? Um, I thank you for a message of hope over and over again throughout your word that promises there's, there's something exceedingly good that you have in mind. And I pray that you will help each one as we wrestle through, as we work through our struggles and, and those moments when we just feel like We've, we've lost the battle. Can't not, cannot get it back that you reconcile, you restore, and you make all things new. And, and uh, just thank you for that message of hope. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you're encouraged as you had a chance to hear some of the realities of what God is doing in the school and the ways that God is encouraging us to share the message of the gospel in creative and unique forms and functions. Hope you're also encouraged to understand that there's a strong tradition in history in teaching prayer and a number of other spiritual disciplines inside of our academic environment. We believe that education is something that exists both in the classroom and out of the classroom. And it's actually a transition and a transfer of knowledge from the teacher to the learner. Sometimes this happens through reading and engaging in a textbook. 
but most often this happens through mentorship and discipleship. This is the way that Jesus did it, and it's the way that Hillcrest has modeled our form of education. I hope you're encouraged to understand really the biblical basis and the biblical perspective that we have here at Hillcrest. If you'd like more information on Hillcrest, please visit GoHillcrest.com. That's G-O-Hillcrest.com.